Welcome to Mentoring Moments. Mentoring Moments is a sub-series of the E-Commerce Edge podcast. It is composed of clips taken from Jason's one-to-one and group mentorship sessions. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome guest Paul Tompkins to the pod. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Jason, and hello, It's awesome to have you along for the ride today, mate. We were talking off air about how long we have known each other, and I'm pretty sure it's more than a decade. I think it's more like 12 years or something like that, that we've we've been connected all the way back since you were at Bulletproof Networks is when we first met. This is not the first time we've chatted, my friend. That's it. That's it. Uh, And it's only been very recently that we've reconnected, and it's been a shame that it's been so long. But I think I listened to you just again recently. It, one of the things that I think we have in common is that we talk fast <laughs> and we talk a lot, um, but then sometimes we can be very silent and for a very long time as we have been, but then when we do talk, we have a lot to say. And look, I think we also, we, we come from a little bit of a similar journey. We've seen lots of change. I've been in this game for over 20 years now in total. And look, there's been some incredible changes. When we first met. I was helping to run an e-commerce agency that was a Magento Gold Partner agency. We were trying to do something back then that everybody, even in the SaaS world, is still trying to do to this day, which is to productize a front-end theme so that you could go to market faster, so that you could have really default hosting requirements. Now, this is this is a SaaS world now versus what it was back then, which it was everything was self-hosted back in the day. And, and certainly Magento was self-hosted and still is to this day. But certainly some of the things we were trying to do with you as a hosting and infrastructure provider at the time was how can we make our solutions super robust and super efficient so that they don't cost our merchants an arm and a leg to do what they want to do. And throughout the evolution of your career, that's what you've always done. You've, it's it, part and parcel of your career is how can we make our solutions super efficient, super cost effective, super relevant to the market? And that brings us all the way up to today, which we'll get into in a bit around six pillars. But I, I feel like our paths have taken a parallel journey in the sense that what clients want hasn't really changed that much. The specific solutions have changed, but ultimately the results they're looking to get from a solution haven't really changed, have they? True. I'd say something that probably has uh, increased uh, in terms of the, the the original priorities that they have, the priorities themselves have accelerated. So we've seen pressure and we've seen tension and we've seen stress and we've seen excitement and we've seen passion even more than we have in the past, even though it was already exploding before and it pushed hard. And we saw that through COVID and it was just how that was pushing it and squeezing in every direction. And now that we're coming out the other side and pushing to whatever the next thing is, it seems like it's even more intense and there's even less time and there's even more impatience. And we're all still trying to grapple with that, even though we thought that maybe we could grapple that 10 years ago. So totally agree. And coming back to the point you raised around when we met around 12 years ago and the position of Magento back then, this was pre-eBay. And I actually remember um, Magento had a Magento Live conference and halfway during the day, they actually contacted me and say, hey, Paul, our speaker has actually uh, cannot do our talk anymore. Can you come this afternoon? And I remember putting together a speech for everyone. We had, I don't know, it's about 400 people in front of me. And I'm like, hey, uh, apologies, but I just put this together. <laughs> and I was there and I was joined by um, one of our superpower uh, architects. And we, we took people through 
how to scale their architecture and how to build a reliable e-commerce platform that was going to make sense to them at speed and at scale in, in front of the Magento crew, which was pretty interesting. But it was a sign of what happens. It was a sign of what can take place. Changes can happen. They can happen very rapidly in an organization or in a group of organizations. And then suddenly people just have to pick it up, figure out how they're going to run with it. <laughs> get on board or get off the yeah, bus. I think my, my, my mother used to have a very fond saying, which was, effectively ish or get off the pot. And that was, that was what she would say, basically crap or get off the pot. And that's what yeah. we all have to do at multiple times throughout our career. And you did, you pivoted your career and you finished up with Bulletproof. Then you've been effectively working, con continue to work right throughout in the IT space and in the solutions space. You worked with Dell, you worked with Microsoft, you worked with Qualtrics. You've worked with some seriously heavy hitting organizations over the years. And now it feels like you've, I wouldn't say you've gone backwards. I would say that you've gone back to a more um, startup type of mentality, a startup type of business, one that's young and scrappy and wanting to really move the needle in the market, similar to how Bulletproof did in their early days before they were obviously sold off to a much bigger player. It feels like you're back into that, I don't know, that starter just they're mental for a startup, the start off. They're just absolutely mental. You feel like you're wearing 15 hats. It's just the nature of the beast. It's very fast paced. You're trying to find the perfect product market fit. You're, you're trying to work out what your GTM is going to be. You're trying to figure out what your ICP is and what kind of language you need to speak with them. And you're trying to identify where these pockets of customers live. So it feels like you've gone back to an environment that is probably much more like Bulletproof than it is like Microsoft. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very interesting point that you raised, Jason, around how we perceive ourselves and the role that we're in and the organization that we're in. And I talk about tribal dynamics quite a bit these days. And I think that's part of the gravity between the different organizations. That's part of how you found your, how, how you found your connection where you were, how you lost the connection where you were, how you found a new connection where you're going, how potentially you reconnect with the connection you had before. And so I think that tribal dynamics is important, but I think you also raise an important point, Jason, around how you feel comfortable and how you can reconnect in terms of what you're doing. And, and you mentioned GTM earlier, and, and just talking it through with you, I continue to have you know, my synapses are firing and I'm thinking about different ideas. And one of the things that I'm thinking about right now is that as people, yes, we're constantly changing, but we still have this foundational structure that we approach things with, regardless of what organization we're in. And I think there are certain types of people who want to be entrepreneurial or they want to wear many hats or they want to do many things and they, they want to run at a speed that they enjoy to, to fulfill that worker satisfaction and to fulfill that connection with the other people around them and that they're giving something back. And I feel that certain organizations can foster that. Certain organizations will see that and they'll run with it. And then other organizations, they'll actually, they could be super large, but they won't necessarily give you the support because they're it's not that they're disconnected. It's just that they're, and I wouldn't say that they're fragmented, but they just have a lot of layers. They have a lot of layers to try and that they need even more help for you to connect between those layers. And so you can leverage your entrepreneurial instincts, but you need to use your initiative somewhat even more sometimes than in a startup because you have to push really hard. And then there are potentially a lot of people or not a lot of people or a combination of the two trying to do the same thing. And so I think that it takes a lot of self-reflection and that whole never give up attitude. And I remember doing this uh, recently in, in one of the large org organizations that I worked with, and I took a, uh, a book 
and I put an MS Paint thing on it and I put Never Give Up by Paul Tompkins and I put that back to the team as I was leaving and I'm like, guys, just don't give up because, and it wasn't a startup, it was a large organization, but there was just lots of people there and they needed direction, they needed help. And even though they have good leaders and they have support around them, it's hard, it's hard work. And it's even more hard work having seen what people are now trying to go through with COVID and education and the people around them. And there seems to be a lot of the more tenured uh, more experienced people, and I'm not sure if it was like this, you know, sort of 30 years ago or you know, 25 plus years ago when I entered the industry. But it, there seems to be a lot of people, very talented people, deciding to retire or deciding to go on holiday. And I don't know if that's the pressure of COVID or the, the excitement of Bitcoin and the explosion of getting rich. Hopefully, it is. Hopefully, lots of people have just got really wealthy, and that's it. They're, they're out of the industry now. And you know, obviously, we're still going, Jason. Maybe for love. And so I'm, I'm really interested. I don't know whether statistically we'll be able to figure that out, but there is certainly a lot of pressure. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of high priority. And um, people are hungry to understand how they can do things, but they need help. Everyone. Wow. Couldn't have said it better. And I think just tailing onto that, I think that the end of ZERP globally has definitely played a part in that. When the entire global economy is awash with cash coming out of everyone's backside and every initiative feels like a home run because no one can keep up with the demand. There's just, basically I, the way I look at it is if you couldn't make money, barring the major basically meltdown starting in 2021, if you couldn't make money between 2008 or 2000, late 2008 to early 2009, and let's say early 2021, you probably will never make money at whatever it is you're doing because the reality is that Credit was cheap. Money was easy. VCs were just flashing cash. The economy, global economy was growing. Very low interest rates for an extended period of time. Just every, it was the, it was basically almost like the roaring 20s of business all over again. And, and then all of a sudden, then COVID hit and everybody was terrified that at the beginning of COVID, oh my God, our businesses are, are, are going to die on the vine. Even, it was funny because a lot of people, even in the digital space, because I was still working agency side at that time and helping to run an agency. And literally every single project that I was working on at the time, there was like five major projects that were on the go. Every single one of them in the span of a week put their projects on hold. And it was like three quarters of a million dollars worth of business uh, stopped dead in its tracks overnight. And, and even as an agency, we were going, whoa, okay, now what do we need to do as an agency to ensure our own survival? We can't fire everybody. We can't, it's likely that the, these projects are still going to proceed. We just don't know exactly when. And we don't want to lose really talented people either with a lot of institutional knowledge that helps to carry our business forward. And we don't want to get rid of people because if these projects come back on stream, even if only two thirds of them come back on stream, we're going to need a lot of people still. And so it was a very difficult that I just remember, I remember standing in my lounge because we were all working from home at that stage. We couldn't even leave our house. The only thing we could do in New Zealand was go to the freaking supermarket. And I remember standing in my lounge next to my island bench where I had my laptop set up because we weren't set up to have a home office at that stage. And I remember thinking it was like a knot in my stomach, right? I had been through business difficulties before when I had my own businesses previously. And it was just really hard to even imagine what the next step we should be taking as a business was. It was like, Holy crap, this is this feels like Armageddon, but we'll live to see the other side of this. I just don't know what the other side of this looks like or when it's going to happen. And I distinctly remember all of us as, as a senior leadership team just sat down and we said, look, this is all a bit of craziness. 
we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we're pretty sure if it continues on as it is now or even worse, that there's going to be a lot of freaking people needing to shop online, that this is going to be pretty important. And so these businesses that we work with, they're going to be in the driver's seat because they're wanting to build cutting edge experiences for their customers, digital experiences, and they're still going to want to continue to build those. In fact, they're probably going to have more urgency, not less eventually. May not be tomorrow, but eventually. And within two months after that, every one of those projects was back on again, and then some, because there was a lot of businesses that weren't ready uh, to deliver all their services digitally and the products digitally. And so we, we, it was like trying to drink out of a fire hose for the next two years. But if we had made a rash decision in the moment saying, okay, we've got nearly a million dollars of revs at risk, and that means that potentially if, that, if we don't land some of that work back, it's going to be a serious issue for our business. But if we'd made, in the heat of the moment, if we'd made a snap decision, we would have been screwed. And sometimes just taking a breather and trying to get as much of a 30,000-foot view as you can is the only way to survive in business. Yeah, there's a really great pace of change. And continue to think about what you said. It's still the frontier out there. I mean, with the launch of the internet circa mid-90s, for example, wasn't something that people really were considering that much. Like people had, oh, okay, I need a firewall now. I'm, I'm going to go and get a firewall, but that'll give me some protection, right? That's like building up a fence around the things that I have. And then, you know, boom, people like, you've got this application. I'm in here. You've got this, it's like your firewall that does nothing. Oh, your firewall's compromised, or you've opened these ports, or you don't know how to manage it, or you've got this thing in there. And that's just become more and more complex as we've added all of these new different technologies. And now we don't just have one frontier being the internet frontier, we've got the AI frontier, we've got the digital frontier, we've got the crypto frontier, we've got the e-commerce frontier, and it just goes on and on. And that the rate of technological advancement is so much faster than how we educate and how humans adapt and how humans age. Like it, it's so much, it's so hard for, for us to get that. And, and I think it's a really exciting time with the birth of AI that we're all now experiencing in a different form. AI has been around for some time conceptually and, and applied in different ways, but we're really seeing now a huge acceleration in AI. And we're now seeing that this can benefit the fact that we're, we're losing touch realistically with the frontier that we created together. And now hopefully our own frontier can come back to us and drive back to us and say, hey, we're going to help you with this because otherwise <clears throat> you're going to have to turn this off. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't even tell you where the plug is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm scrabbling around the dark. Where, where's the plug? I'm not sure where the plug is. And, and so I think that's one of the reasons why I felt this renewed connection to be at the beginning of something again because I was there when we brought broadband into Australia, I was there when we, we brought cloud into Australia for the first time. I was there when e-commerce pivoted from, hey, I, I set up a bulletin board system back in the 90s for a nursery, for a local nursery near my school who could sell plants using a bulletin board system, which for those who don't know, you have to dial in on one direct line with your modem and then maybe one person at a time visit the virtual nursery and text format and look through the different plants that were there. And then when I think back, wow, that was amazing. That's like the perfect e-commerce. Um, at the time, I just thought it was something fun to do at school. Um, but we've come so very far and we take so much for granted. I was sitting next to our CEO on the plane yesterday and he was talking about the materials that they use on the plane to make sure that things are just slightly safer. Yeah, sure, if it comes down at speed, we're all gone. But 
for certain things, there's that level of safety. And we just take for granted the sheer amazing engineering feats that is taking place in just small pieces everywhere around us. And the new generations that are coming out, they don't know. And a lot of the people, including myself, we, we don't have enough experience to be able to even share that knowledge of how that is. Like even if I go back to them, my grandparents, they were able to teach me things because they were slightly more si simpler conceptually. <laughs> Otherwise it's, oh, go and check it into chat GPT and try and get it to tell you what it is because we can't tell you what it is anymore. But apparently the computer knows, hopefully it knows what it's telling you. And so the security part of it and automation and AI is certainly where I'm, I'm focused at the moment and I'm hoping that I can do some good. Love it. Absolutely love it. And this does, we're really, what I, reason I wanted to bring you is on, I wanted to bring you onto the podcast as a guest mentor to talk about some of these subjects that maybe aren't purely e-commerce related as an e-commerce podcast, but there's a lot of tangential stuff that happens in the e-commerce universe that, as you say, people don't necessarily think about behind the scenes, even down to SaaS platforms, which is how almost all software is delivered today. It's almost all SaaS now, but behind the SaaS technology is infrastructure. So behind these SaaS systems, there is an AWS, there's an Azure, there's a Google Cloud, there's some kind of infrastructure, usually public cloud infrastructure of some variety that underpins all of this beautiful SaaS, auto updating, auto patch, auto everything software, but what most people don't think about necessarily, even behind the Shopify's, the big commerces, the, the, the whatever SaaS name, Zero, the software Zero, QuickBooks, whatever it is, behind all this SaaS software is infrastructure that sure, they may be providing us a secure front end to their technology that's delivered to you via a browser, but they still have to think about all of the infrastructure, the underpinnings and the security of the back end of their own software. And this is something that, this is a space where you absolutely crush, you, you, you are totally focused on this space. You have an amazing offer as well currently that, that is effectively an extension of an offer by AWS. But my, my whole point is, and I'd love to get your take on this, that People, I think, to a degree that their SaaS software is magic, magic. And even if they go to build a piece of SaaS software of their own, they think it all just magics itself up. But there's still some of the same, the underlying technology, you've still got databases, you've still got scripting languages, you've still got, you've still got servers, and you've got front-end servers and back-end servers, and you've got uh, net networking environments that have to share data between databases and, and front-end technology. We've still got, from a component level, Yes, the technology is advanced, but the components themselves are relatively the same. Yeah, we've got no SQL DBs these days and all sorts of advanced stuff, but the underpinnings are largely the same from an infrastructural perspective. And so this is where you guys come in. This is why I think that you're potentially so passionate about this at Six Pillars, you're the, the chief growth officer of Six Pillars AI. But I think, and, and, and again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think it's the fact that there's some new frontiers happening here but there's this thread of continuity underneath it all, which is we have to have solid, scalable, secure infrastructure to do all these weird and wonderful things we want to do with tech nowadays. Absolutely, Jason. And I think that's a great way to frame it. Uh, the audience that are more familiar with SaaS-based platforms. And again, when we're talking about desensitization and taking things for granted, there is this huge complex set of infrastructures underneath that need to be managed that there are teams of people, at least for the organizations that afford teams of people to manage these platforms so that everything runs when you're asleep, so that the cars run and our businesses run and the health systems run and everything that underpins those. We've had a number of movies that have tried to exemplify how scary that can be. 
And on that particular point, we're getting hacked like globally, organizations, individuals, systems. Yeah, I, again, I was reading countless articles this morning about different types of risks that have been taking place. There was a, a ransomware group this morning who have come out and reported to the SEC that an organization didn't advise the SEC that they've been hacked. Just hang on a second. So they hack an organization. And then when the organization doesn't say to the media, hey, we've been hacked, as they're supposed to do based on the framework that's in place, then <laughs> the ransomware group are the one that's been reporting them. Yeah. <laughs> you have to tell you have to tell people you've been hacked by us because they're, we're going to put the pressure on. They've got all these tricks now. And that's one of the really scary things is that the Gen AI is helping us, but it's also ha helping the people we're battling against because they're like, hey, I can go and create code and I can find vulnerabilities using AI too. So it's really important that we focus on this stuff. And we've seen really large organizations get compromised. We've seen our own individual details be taken. If they know what I have for lunch, then that's great. Then hopefully maybe they can try and make it better than I can, which would be nice. And you've got to start to think, when is someone going to start doing some, something with all of this data? Because there is so much data now. And whenever you see a large linkage to some kind of social media thing, you're like, oh, here we go. And know who my friends are. They know what my likes and dislikes aren't. And then you see then credential attacks and then you're like, okay, well, then I can also go into all my systems. So all it would take is some kind of large, sophisticated entity to start doing something with this and, and there'll be a very large shift. And so I, I really want to make sure that we're all starting to think about how we can proactively, um, not just defend ourselves, but take the attack to them and, and be part of this and be really super aware of what's going on and then really remove that business risk. But I think there are a large number of challenges, especially for the smaller organizations to be able to do that. There is just so much to do. There are so many things to invest in and business owners, they're already tired and they're exhausted and they're pushing a thousand percent to ensure that they are uh, investing in the right places, that their businesses are running smoothly or potentially that they're even just staying up altogether. And so they need help and we'd like to be able to enable other partners to be in a position where they can help those organizations, not just help uh, the customers directly, because we know that uh, an organization is never going to be large enough to do it on their own. It's something we're all going to have to do together. I believe that we're in a good position to start that journey and we've started bringing people together and trying to rally people to help accelerate something that's been started a long time ago, but we, we need to start some new fires and we really need to start getting serious about this in my opinion. Couldn't agree more. And let's let's start to break down. I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna describe the software that you guys have developed back to you. You can tell me whether I'm way off base, partially on base, whether I've got it nailed. And then I'm gonna create a use case where I think your software would be relevant to even the e-commerce community, the digital commerce community, to the industry that I play in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna describe a use case for your software. And then let's talk through that use case because I think this use case. It happens very frequently in our industry, and, and this is where technology like yours becomes super relevant. So your software, you've effectively created software that takes this sort of archaic, maybe simplistic information that uh, AWS specifically provides around the security, penetrability, or otherwise around their infrastructure that their customers who want to set up this public cloud infrastructure they set up these servers, it's on demand, it's easy. Okay, look, cool, I'm gonna go set up an S2 instance. So oh, cool, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna set up all these services. I'm gonna set up compute instances, I'm gonna set up database instances, I'm gonna set up all these services. Maybe even uh, they've, they've got consumable AI services, they've got Lambda, they've got all these services, right? 
So IT teams, even small ones nowadays, they might be only an IT team of two people. They'll go into AWS, they'll requisition these services for whatever uh, locally hosted applications they need to have. Then they'll, they'll set them up, away they go. And where your software comes in is it is effectively an additional translation and remediation layer on top of the default security layer that comes with AWS, but is somewhat difficult to understand. It's difficult to take immediate action on, and it's difficult to classify some of that security feedback from AWS as got to fix it now, maybe not critical, but you should look at it at ASAP, or hey, this is just this is un very unlikely to be a threat and you can put this off indefinitely. When you, get to the, when you get through the first two buckets, you can look at this last thing. First of all, before I go on to the use case, have I described your software accurately? I, I think there's a lot of different ways that can be described. I think you've described it pretty well. I think that's definitely one, one angle. To put another lens on it, if we overly simplify it, and should we will, then if you looked at when we started to get systems and even back when we had DOS, MS-DOS before Windows came along and we had uh, you know, original x86 PCs, like the 386 and the 486 and so forth, and the original Macs, we needed an antivirus scanner. And we didn't have antivirus scanners. And when people started to get virus, the viruses, they realized, well, we do need antivirus scanners. <laughs> and, and antivirus scanners came along to fulfill that need. And they scanned an environment, and we still use them today, and some work well, some don't work so well. And they look through an environment, and then they find the viruses, and they say, would you like to remove this virus? And you say, yes, right? This is a concept of, that, but more around misconfigurations, because most of us don't know how to secure our computer. And even if we do know how to secure our computer, there are a lot of things happening inside the computer that are changing constantly. It's almost impossible to keep up with it. And when you look at cloud, which is something we're explicitly focused on and, and so much so we're only focused on AWS, Amazon Web Services cloud right now, because we, we need a focus. We need a place that we can start and we can focus and we do things well. There, there is still the ability to misconfigure an environment because you have this complexity, you have so many rich, feature-rich services, you can configure them in a lot of different ways. And you could accidentally misconfigure it. Maybe a partner might accidentally misconfigure it. Maybe you didn't know how to configure it correctly to begin with, or maybe you configured it correctly day one, but things have changed now and you didn't look at the environment and now it's misconfigured. So essentially what we enable customers to do is very rapidly, very easily see whether they're misconfigured for basically no cost and then continuously have that visibility, but that's, that's one thing. What we've also done is brought in automation to enable people to then fix misconfigurations as they occur. So you can then be asleep and you, you know that your platform is fixing itself uh, and it doesn't fix everything, but, but fixes a large percentage of things. And so what we've realized is what that actually also brings is productivity and it gives you time and it means you can have smaller teams. And it means that if people have left your team, suddenly you've got an ability to try and rewind a little bit and understand what gaps have been left and how do you fix those gaps potentially without hiring new staff. So it's a productivity engine as much as it is the reducing of risk through the enablement of a tool. And where we've started with that in terms of trying to increase adoption, because there are thousands of tools, like everyone, hey, I don't need another tool. I've got thousands of tools. There are so many out there. And what we've done to start that is we've aligned with existing AWS best practice frameworks including the AWS well-architected framework. And we said to customers, what if you could do this on as many workloads as possible? Not just one, but what if you could do this across your entire cloud infrastructure? And what if you could do that in an hour? Surely that would be of benefit. And what about, if that's the case, what if the framework from AWS currently has credits with it? 
So that means you're actually getting credits for going through that process. You're making your environment more secure and you're saving time and you're getting credits. And they're like, oh, okay, maybe I can find time for that. And it, it's interesting because the priorities are that stacked and the odds are that stacked against organizations that it's still, it is hard for some organizations to say, hey, I need to drop this thing to come and look at my infrastructure just to make sure I don't have gaps, make sure I don't have misconfigurations to make sure that my environment's gonna be around tomorrow. I've still got busier things to do. And I'm not calling that out against them. I agree with them. We've got families, we've got businesses, we've got so many things that are going on in our lives and you have a run sheet of things you've got to get done. It's oh, okay, no, I need to go off over there now to do another fire that I've just found. So I appreciate that. But it's one of those things where you need to take the time to invest it so that you know that you've saved the time in the future and you've potentially done that. So you need to try and fit it in somewhere. And I think also organizations are finally starting to realize that security is just table stakes stuff. It, it has got to be part of your operational layer as a business that it's just got to be built in kind of from day dot. And they don't necessarily know how to build it in from day dot. And that's where services like yours come along so that it can be built in from day dot without needing to have a full DevSecOps team. You don't have to have a DevSecOps team. Your software largely plays that role nowadays and can do a lot of that reconfiguration as necessary. And then their AWS partner, if, it, if they need something super more technical than that, then somebody like a Bulletproof or somebody on a managed service plan around AWS can come in and do the really heavy lifting if it's necessary and, and make the massive changes that are required if they're required. But I, I want to get back to that use case uh, that I see so often in e-commerce. So maybe they're running SaaS for everything. Maybe they got NetSuite as their ERP. Maybe they got Shopify as their front-end e-commerce service. Maybe they've got Syndigo as their PIM system. All SaaS, these are all SaaS, SaaS software. So they don't, you would think with all this SaaS software in my business, maybe they're running Klaviyo for marketing automation. What would they need AWS for? Where I see this most often in the SaaS world is for the microservice. Piece. And I'll give you one very concrete example. I have a recent client. They needed, we were going through scoping as a new solution. They're, they're moving onto a SaaS platform for e-com. It's their first e-commerce website. They're a B2B business first transactional e-commerce website, I should say. And there is some requirements in their functional requirements of this new e-commerce implementation that will require a private app. So the, the, the platform, the, the partner that's gonna be doing the e-commerce implementation, there's one piece of functionality that does not exist inside the SaaS platform. So they're gonna create a custom application to create that microservice on top of that will plug in to the standard app framework in the e-commerce platform so that they can surf surface this functionality to the front end of the website. Now that microservice has to be hosted somewhere. It's gotta have a server, it's gotta have a database, it's gotta have these basic foundational pieces of infrastructure. Now it doesn't require a massive server. It's probably gonna, only gonna cost them, it's probably gonna cost them less than 50 bucks a month for, for the hosting of, of the infrastructure to, to host this app. But they have this one piece of functionality that requires AWS. And so what the implementation partner will do is they will say, why don't you go ahead and create, if you don't already have one, why don't you create an AWS account? You give us access to the AWS account. We'll provision the services that are required. We'll load the code. We'll, we'll verify it runs. We'll connect it to the website and you'll be off to the races. And then you just pay your AWS fees over time. And uh, that's all you have to pay. That's all you have to pay for the hosting. Now, those that client, they don't know how to maintain that infrastructure. They don't know how to patch it. They don't know how to upgrade the versions. They don't know how to configure it. Once the agency hands it back over to the merchant and says, we're well, off to the races, unless the merchant wants to engage on a, say, a retainer just to maintain their infrastructure and monitor it and DevSecOps it, 
then they're going to need something like your technology because the the version of whatever underlying software, the scripting uh, engine that's on there, et cetera, that will eventually get out of date. It will eventually become porous. It will eventually need security patching and upgrading. And if they don't have some kind of software like yours, they're going to get caught out eventually. And that is a vector of attack directly to the rest of the infrastructure that's, that's SaaS because it has access to the API endpoints. And all of a sudden now you have access to things you shouldn't have access to. So Jason, yeah, totally. And we don't play in the area of attack vectors specifically, but absolutely to your point, we enable organizations to spend more time focusing on that as well. You still need the other stacks and security tools out there. There's no such thing in my opinion of a one-stop security solution. That's why we have teams of people who, who need to look at this stuff. That's why cloud providers have such huge security teams who are always constantly looking at infrastructure security so that people don't have to manage uh, infrastructure level security on a hardware level, as an example, or network management at a hardware level and cable management and, and interconnectivity and all of the lovely things that go with the, the fantastic solutions that is cloud providers and cloud services. But they still need to rely on that service layer, to your point, Jason, around microservices. You still need to rely on how things connect to each other. And, and I've seen a lot of really good API security partners coming out there looking, how do you secure an API? Oh, people like, oh, well, I have to secure an API now? Oh, I didn't realize I needed to secure an API. When you're talking information back and forth, you still need to be able to say, oh, okay, I have to put it there. It's like everything needs securing now. I've got to secure this, I've got to secure that. And so there are these specialists because the specialists have realized that everything requires some more security on it. And so that's why another reason I think that, that there so much help is required. So anything that's going to provide productivity back in people's days that can enable them to look at that next thing and, and bolster on it, I think is definitely useful. And the feedback, some of the feedback that we've been getting from customers more recently that we've enacted on and we've made changes in our uh, application to perform is to your point, Jason, around software development is around shifting left is about uh, the continuous pipeline. People are saying, oh, well, we're actually trying to get out of looking at our infrastructure that's there and we've set it up nicely, but we're looking at the code that we've created and how that pushes out infrastructure. And what we're talking about now is infrastructure as code. We're talking about things like CloudFormation, Terraform, um, Palumi is another one. There's a number of tools out there. Those are some of the common ones. And so people are building these templates, this infrastructure as code to build their cloud infrastructure dynamically so they can push out their environments much quicker because this is what it's all supposed to be about, right? It's like, I can do that next release. I can get to that next version. I can push that next set of uh, retail apparel products on my e-commerce site, whatever it is, right? And that time to market really flies. And so what we've done based on customer feedback is build AI into looking at misconfigurations and then helping you with productivity. So what that means is we'll look for the misconfigurations in your infrastructure as code templates and your software development pipeline. And then once we found the misconfiguration, you then get a new problem. You're like, oh, now I found I've got misconfigurations in my pipeline. And now I have to spend time fixing that. So we're like, okay, why don't we give you using AI a core of that code? that you need to put that in. We're like, here you go, Mr. Customer, here's the code. I'm like, wow, hang on a second. You just created the code for me. That's going to save me a lot of time. Now, we can't say, hey, look, you're going to have to go straight and put that in. They need to test it. Everyone needs to test everything they're doing. But what it does give them is it just gives them a head start. It's like, where do I start? Here you go, here's something to start with. This is potentially the code you can use. And so customers are going, wow, this, are you really thinking about how we can save time in incorporating not just what we're doing today, and fixing the misconfiguration, but the misconfigurations you're now identifying, you're giving us that step to then go and do that. Because there is a lot of worry in teams within organizations that if we help them find their misconfigurations, they're going to give them more work. <laughs> so what we're trying to do is 
take pain away in one area and then show them more awareness and then continue to try and take the pain away because we realize that this is an iterative cycle and you need a way of then starting to manage more efficiently those new problems as they occur. So that's why we're really at the cusp of that, seeing that, taking that feedback and trying to evolve as customers find those pain points. The other thing I loved, and you showed me a demo of the platform the other day, I liked that for some of the issues slash solutions, they're literally a one-click resolve within your software. Now that, that doesn't apply to everything, but it might apply in most scenarios, maybe it applies to 80% or 70% or 90% of the issues yeah. that are found, particularly around configuration issues. Literally, you can go down a list of 20 issues identified and it's almost like you said, in your antivirus software where you go, do you want me to just resolve all these issues in your Windows registry? Yes, go away and fix that because I don't know how to fix it. I'm not gonna mess with the registry myself. You go away, you make a backup of my registry in case it breaks something. You fix all the problems and then you tell me whether it's fixed at the end. And that's very similar to what your software does. Basically, here's all these identified issues using not only our native tooling, but a lot of the AWS native tooling under the bonnet. We're gonna surface that to you in a human understandable way that doesn't have to be superhuman. We're then gonna give you the tools 80, 90% of the time to where you can, we can just resolve them straight out of the gate. And for the ones we can't solve straight out of the gate, we're gonna give you a very big head start on the solution to those issues using AI. So it feels like very much a, a comprehensive, you know, security operations layer that gives people insights into infrastructure that they just, they couldn't have any other way. They just wouldn't, I know that there's other internet security technology vendors out there. So in that sense, you're not hundred percent unique and that there's, there's five or six from Palo Alto to there's many security vendors out there for cloud infrastructure, but I, I haven't seen any yet that comes close to the usability that yours does for specifically in an AWS environment. And I think, I, I feel like Sure, if you're a massive organization, if you're a massive company, if you're, let's say you've got a thousand employees and you're doing a hundred million dollars a year in business or more, and you have 20 people on your IT team, then you know, you're probably gonna think to yourself, I can do most of this myself. But even in that environment, it's just gonna simply allow them to be more productive with their day instead of chasing up the rats and mice stuff that they shouldn't have to be dealing with. They could deal with the big, grunty, scary stuff like, oh, we're gonna be deploying a whole bunch of custom built software, we need to really focus on that and building the infrastructure around that instead of babysitting the infrastructure we already have. Exactly, totally, you hit the nail on the head. So it, work, it works for small businesses that don't have big IT teams, works for medium sized businesses that may have one or two in their IT team, and it works for very large companies that have big IT teams that need to be focused on big, scary, hairy, scary problems. And what I love about this, and this is probably another key takeaway that I think the listeners should really take note of, when you are building something for the market, whether it's a product, whether it's a piece of software, whether you're building a brand that sells physical goods, whether you're a service provider like me, where it's a consulting service, so it's effectively a digital good or service, landing and expanding is almost always the best way. So in other words, you could have come to market and you could have said, we secure cloud infrastructure full stop. So we're going to work with the three biggies. We're going to work with Azure, we're going to work with Google Cloud, we're going to work with AWS, and all of our software and our solutions are going to be cross-compatible across all these. And you may at some future date add Azure, add Google Cloud. But what you did is you, you took such a laser focus on the market, you, you focused on the single biggest platform provider in the market. So they've got the lion's share of the market. And you said, hey, 
why don't we double down on this? Because it's gonna keep, it's gonna make it a hell of a lot easier if we're focused on one platform, one solution. And also what I love about this is you said, okay, what is the infrastructure and what are the incentives that are already in place with AWS themselves that we can tap into to make it more of a no-brainer solution for our clients? And I think that same approach, every solution provider out there, every business out there providing products and services to their customers, it's usually the best idea to start narrow and expand as opposed to start broad and narrow. It's much harder to narrow after time. And I know this for my own self. I thought I had narrowed my niche really tightly when I started my business. And then the, this was three years ago. And then the longer I went along, the more I realized that niching down is actually a superpower and I wasn't that good at it. And I made it my mission to get a hell of a lot better at it. And now I'm much more niche down. My ICP is much more clearly defined. Uh, it's a much simpler business to run because I'm not trying to be all things to all people. And it makes me a hell of a lot more, more efficient as a partner. So it feels like you guys uh, took the right path right from day dot. No, I really appreciate you saying that, Jason. Thank you. And, and I really appreciate you having me on the show. I know it has been a long time, but I really admire the fact that you've kept your tenacity, your energy, and you've turned up the dial past 11 to bring these shows to life. Because I think that we do need people out there sharing the word, spreading the news, connecting organizations, connecting people. And I'm going to try and do my best to find time to listen to more of your podcasts because I, I do think that you, you really do bring them to life. So thank you, Jason. Thank you so much for your time. I very much appreciate your time. Very much uh, thankful that you're willing to share your wisdom from hard fought experience over two decades like me. I really appreciate that. And if people want to get a hold of you just before you go, what is the best way to do that? Should they reach out to you on LinkedIn? I'll put, of course, your links. I'll put the six pillars links in the show notes. Uh, but do you like people to just simply go to the sixpillars.ai website or do you like hearing from people on LinkedIn or both? Uh, I think I'd prefer people reach out to me directly for a chat. My door is always open because we leverage automation quite heavily. Actually, I have a lot of time for customers, which I really enjoy because I really like that customer interaction. And I know that by listening to customers, we can actually make much better advances for other customers. So yeah, people feel Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Send me an email if you like, paul at sixpillars.ai, or even reach out to Jason for a chat and just say, hey, look, this is the feedback we had from the session. And if enough people say, hey, look, actually, we'd really like you both back on the show and th this is what we'd like you to discuss, give us a bit of a theme and I'd be happy to jump back on and have another chat with Jason. Mate, love it so much. I'll let you make a move. Appreciate you being our guest mentor for the day. Paul Tompkins from Six Pillars AI. I really appreciate it. Speak again soon. If you'd like to get mentored by Jason for free, head over to greenwoodconsulting.net, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click Get Mentored by Jason.